0: you're listening to behind the screens this is a podcast series about the energy markets made by energy trading house dance commodities with this series we want to take you into the offices and onto the trading floors of an energy trading company and discuss some of the most important topics within energy trading right here and now in this second season of Behind the Screens we are focusing on different aspects of the energy transition and today we're going to talk about environmental products, what they do and how they work. My name is Jens Østergaard and with me in the studio is Danske Commodities Head of Climate Markets, Kasper Elgaard.
1: Electricity, once it has been produced, we cannot digest whether it came from cold or nukes, or hydro or wind. And here the certificates plays that role of uh, the end consumer being able to, to claim that they bought uh,
0: renewable electricity. And senior business developer in the climate markets team, Alexandra Münzer.
2: So there will be a lot of exciting things uh, happening in the next decades. In climate markets, we really have the advantage to see it uh, happening in front of our eyes (laughs) on a daily basis or at a yearly basis. So the discussion is always evolving and always exciting.
0: Welcome to both of you.
1: Thank you, Jens. Thank you.
0: Maybe we could start with the absolute basics. Uh, What is it exactly you do in the climate markets team?
1: Yeah, so if I should kick it off, then um what we do essentially is that we trade what we call attributes or environmental products. And what we typically has is that we have a a, a generic commodity. It could be a power or gas in the sense of carbon, and then on top you have a an environmental product or an attribute. And it can comes in, in very different forms and, and different markets and shapes, uh, but the common denominator is that it, it, it is within the environmental space. If we look at, at our team, what we do is that we we split it into three business areas overall. we have firstly our renewable electricity certificates trading. Um, here we have all the different environmental products that originates from renewable electricity production so we measure everything in in megawatt hour basically and as an example we have different types of products could be guarantees of origin it could be uh, rocks and rigos in the uk and it could be l certificates in norway and sweden um, secondly we trade uh, within the carbon markets so here we measure everything in, in ton per co2 and uh, we have different products here For instance, the EUAs under the EU ETS for compliance purposes, we also trade voluntary carbon credits um, and other types of of carbon uh, products. And lastly, we we engage in in biomethane trading as well. So that gives you a little bit of of idea of that it it spans across different markets and and different types of, of underlying commodities.
0: So, who? Uh, which kind of uh, clients or customers do we uh, trade with in this uh, space?
2: That could be uh, from an end consumer, let's say a utility that wants to offer a green electricity tariff to its household clients or industrial clients. So they are procuring uh, typically a lot of uh, yeah guarantees of origin, for example, in Europe. That could be also clients, uh, utilities, and oh, like across Europe, basically in any country. And um, so we have utilities. We have also corporations, right? Corporations that have uh, that are huge energy consumers, could be on the gas side, could be on the electricity side. Obviously, could be also um, corporations that want to lower the carbon footprint and procure uh, carbon certificates for that purpose. That's basically the client base. Of course, we're doing also business with other trading houses across Europe. So our clients' business partners span entire Europe, sometimes beyond, and all different parts of the value chain, I would say.
0: What are sort of, uh, if you could say, the common reason for for these people or companies entering into a partnership with Dental Commodities?
1: One of the reasons, at least, is is definitely the, the green agenda. So we we see that companies and corporates are setting targets, for instance, on on their emissions. And um, when they do all their investments technology-wise, at the end of the day, there might be a gap uh, that needs to be fulfilled. And here, environmental products can, can play a role of, of sort of filling that residual or, or that gap between a, a company's target and what is actually achievable uh, at this stage.
2: Yeah, and Casper, if I um, may add, because you were asking about why are they doing a uh, business with DC in particular, right? And I believe in D.C., okay, we are already super um, well known for our power and gas business, right? But we have this extremely dedicated uh, team, particularly focusing on climate markets. And there is like, I think you have 10 years of experience in these markets.
0: So you've already mentioned, Casper, uh, the, the products uh, briefly, but uh, if you could dive a little bit more into them and explain uh, what they are and what they do. Yeah, we can definitely give it a go. Um, Let's
1: try and and split it up a bit because overall, this product varies a lot between the different markets and uh, and underlying commodities that we're looking at. So if we should start with the renewable electricity certificates, uh, we could take a a product like guarantees of origin. Um, It's actually an attribute that enables, for instance, the end consumer to claim that they bought uh, renewable electricity. Because electricity, once it has been produced and it comes out into the individual household, you cannot digest whether it came from cold or nukes or hydro or wind. Electricity is electricity once it's in the grid. So in order to be able to claim that you bought renewable electricity, you need an, an attribute in this case in the form of a, a guarantee of origin that shows where has the electricity been produced when was it produced from which type of assets and here the certificates or the guarantees of origin plays that role of of uh, the end consumer being able to to claim that they bought uh, renewable electricity
2: and these guarantees of origin are just actually the reason the very reason why corporations actually commit to these long-term off-takes agreements because it shows that they are committed to uh, the environment, so guarantees of origin are basically the tool to demonstrate that to your end customer or to your clients. So,
1: And then we have other examples, for instance, in, in the UK. One of the attributes that follows with a PPA in the UK is a, is a rock uh, certificate. And um, essentially, it works in, in the way that there is a renewable obligation. To, to buy rocks if, if you are uh, electricity supplier uh, and then the, the generator gets that additional income from from the rocks production and we then sell it out uh, in into the market as part of our PPAs together with the power and the balancing uh, of that product.
0: What other types of uh, of products do you uh, do you trade? Again, depending
1: on if we look at renewable. Electricity production, it's, uh, it's guarantees of origin, as mentioned, it's the ROCs and Rigos in the UK. Uh, we also trade L-certificates in Norway and Sweden uh, on the back of the electricity consumption that uh, we currently have in, in Norway. Um,
0: yeah. So could you tell me a little bit more about sort of the, the historical background for these products? Where do they come from?
2: When it comes to guarantees of origin, the electricity uh, attribute, it's basically with the opening of the European energy markets. The EU basically decided that the consumer needs to have the possibility to choose uh, your electricity supplier based on certain credentials. For example, if they can offer you a green electricity tariff. And since electrons are electrons, they don't have any color. So basically the certificate book and claim mechanism was invented, quote unquote and came uh, yeah, into life and now this product is basically traded either bundled together with electricity or unbundled, so separate.
1: All of these products are essentially, you could say, political driven or driven by legislation and, and regulations. Um, so we touched upon the guarantees of origin. Another example is, is uh, the carbon markets, uh, especially the, the EU ETS schemes that essentially came from the Kyoto Protocol. Um, so, you know, there was then uh, overarching legislations on, on what to achieve in terms of lowering emissions. And then the EU, as a consequence, developed an, a trading or cap and trade scheme for, for EUAs uh, to, to create an allowance system where you have as an industrial or corporate, you had to buy allowances in order to be allowed to, to permit uh, CO2 at the end of the day. So it tells a story that all the products that we trade has a very high dependency uh, on the regulations and and, and legislations uh, going on, both on a global scale, on a European scale, but also on a, on a domestic scale in the individual uh, countries that we active in.
0: So we talked about how the products work and what kind of products we have, but could you tell me a bit more about what drives these markets?
2: Um. With the guarantees of origin, that's typical OTC, over-the-counter products. So you basically, it's a market that um, brokers very often facilitate transactions and uh, where traders like Danske commodities play a vital role when it comes to bringing liquidity into the markets. So between the producer of a guarantee of origin, which could be the owner of a a wind farm, for instance, and the end consumer, which could be a corporation, a lot of things happen in between, but not in exchange. It's usually done via a broker or via an intermediary like DC or other service providers.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, And I think on on an overall basis, the, the markets and products we work in and are active in there's not a, one clear answer on how they work because they are so fragmented. And it really depends on what market and product that we look into. If if we take the EUAs under the EU ETS as an example, that's a highly uh, liquid exchange traded product w- with a high turnover of, of EUAs being transacted every day. You have spot future option uh, markets available. Um so, so that has a high degree of, of transparency, high liquidity, uh, everything you know from, a, I would say, a, a standard financial product. And, and then, as Alex just touched upon, you have other types of products that are not exchange traded. They don't have much liquidity. They has a high degree of intransparency to it. So in these type of markets, you need to be active via structured deals there's over-the-counter products so you are engaging bilaterally with counterparts uh, brokers are playing an important role in this market in order to create transparency and and facilitating that buyers and, and sellers are, are are meeting in in the market um, so so it, it it is really fragmented uh, around these different types of of environmental products in terms of of uh, how they are traded
2: So that's actually the cool thing about climate markets, right? So you have uh, some products that are liquid, mature, uh, traded on an exchange, and then you have the OTC markets where you actually have to have a network across Europe or maybe globally to actually be even able to execute a trade. So it's a lot about knowing people in the energy markets, uh, aligning interests, right? uh, Negotiating and executing in the end. So uh, there's a lot of different uh, ways and uh, yeah methods you can work here. And as you already touched regarding our markets are very much driven by legislation. So you really need a very fundamental understanding of European legislation across the borders. So that's uh, also makes the work quite interesting.
0: Definitely. And then uh, Dance Commodities is part of uh, Norwegian energy giant Equinor. And Equinor is, uh, is in the middle of a, a, a huge transition towards green energy. What role do the climate markets team play in, in that transition?
1: It can always uh, is definitely having some ambitious targets uh, for for their renewable uh, and, and green transition in general, and um, we are doing our best to support that development when it comes to environmental products. A few examples could be that we have taken over a couple of, of PPAs in the UK market, so we then onboarded a, a portfolio of of rocks and regos together with the power and, uh, and the balancing part of it. We're also responsible for buying the yearly compliance need of uh, EUAs under, as, as I can always, as part of the EU ETS scheme. Um, so so we, you could say that the trading arm of, of the EUA's activities when it comes to their compliance need of, uh, of uh, EUAs. A third example could be on, on the L certificates. We are supplying them with electricity as part of the Norwegian electricity consumption. And when you have electricity consumption in Norway, you are part of the L-certificate scheme. And, uh, and here we are also responsible for buying that, uh, that yearly compliance need of, of L-certificates. And of course, then we are looking into to new markets naturally, I would say, following Econor in in their global ambitions.
0: Looking uh, ahead, uh, what kind of future do you see for environmental uh, products? How will the market and these products develop in the, in the coming years?
2: Oh, that's a very exciting question, actually. So we have currently in Europe uh, a certain demand of fossil energy commodities. And since we want to, or since the EU wants to decarbonize, um, that means this demand of fossil energy commodities needs to be replaced at some point by the exact same demand or even higher demand for the corresponding environmental commodity. So basically what we will witness in the next decades, in the 10, 20, 30 years to come, is that we will see new commodities that have not been here before, basically replacing what we use now for energy purposes. We, of course, see hydrogen coming in at some point. And why not replace, uh, for instance, a commodity like coal as it is used with the Bio coal for instance so there will be a lot of exciting things uh, happening in the next decades uh, some sooner some later but I think um, in climate markets we really have the advantage to see it um, happening in front of our eyes <laughs> on a daily basis or at a yearly basis so the discussion is always evolving and always exciting
1: yeah and I would say the just the last couple of years has really been interesting that we've seen uh, uh, both the demand side picking up, but I would also argue a, a broader acceptance of environmental products. Not saying that the market is is perfect. There's still room for improvements on on some of the products that we trade uh, when it comes to transparency and, and pricing around them, et cetera. Um, so there's definitely some some work still to be done um in terms of of creating an, an even higher degree of, of high quality environmental products with a high degree of transparency towards the end consumers and, and 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 the industries as a whole but it's definitely an interesting development that we've seen in in the past couple of of years and if if that continues and Becomes even more, um, or picking up even more in, in speed in, in in the coming years, which we are a firm believer of. I think uh, being in in this market uh, for climate and env- environmental products is is uh, definitely an interesting uh, place to be.
0: Thanks to both of you, head of climate markets, Casper Elgår, and senior business developer in the climate markets team, Alexandra Münzer for joining me in the studio for a talk about environmental products. You've been listening to Behind the Screens, a podcast series about the energy markets made by Energy Trading House Danske Commodities. My name is Jens Østergaard, and I'm the host of the series. Be sure to catch the other episodes where you normally listen to podcasts.